Welcome to It's All About the Questions, where learning to ask the right questions can help you achieve lifelong success. Now, here to help you ask all the right questions is award-winning author, international speaker, and business strategist, Laura Stewart. Good morning, afternoon, and evening, everyone, and welcome, welcome, welcome to the show. It's a joy, as I say that every single week to be here with all of you, my loyal live listeners and my podcast fans. Grateful for you each and every day of, of the week, year, month, and decade since it is the beginning of the new decade, 2020. It is a new start for a lot of people, the beginning of the year. The first few weeks of the year, everybody's starting to set resolutions, but more than that, trying to decide what it is they want to be doing with their year. And as I get asked so often by so many people, Laura, I want to write a book. How do I do it? You seem to have been such a success with your book. What do I need to do? What, what should I not do? And I've had a number of people on my show over the years talking about publishing, all aspects of publishing, and last week I had Michael Ebling, my agent and a brilliant, brilliant man, talking about how to market your book, build a following, a funnel, a business. And there was such a response to that. I was so excited that I've had Terry Whalen, um, a friend, a mentor, one of my advisors. We had booked this months and months ago because his new book was coming out. And I'm so grateful he agreed to be on the show again. We're, we're, I'm here with Terry Whalen talking about 10 publishing myths, insights every author needs to succeed, and this book should be on everybody's shelves, Terry. I'm so excited you finally published this one. <laughs> Great to be here with you, Laura. I appreciate this opportunity. Well, you know, I, well, I can't even remember how many times I've had you on the show over the years. It seems like at least once a year I have you on with one book or another that you're talking about that you've published because you just, you really get it. You've been in the publishing industry for how many years, how many decades now? Oh, it's, uh, oh, I, I usually say over 20 in my bio, but it's probably closer to 30, 35 years that I've been doing this. Yeah, that's what I thought. I know like your bio talks about just a few, but I'm like, no way. Terry's been in here way, <laughs> way longer. He's, he's just not being, he's being humble. You know, and I love in your bio how you talk about you've loved books since your mother read you, and to think that I saw it on Mulberry Street, which was, as most people may remember, the first Dr. Seuss book, although I thought The Cat in the Hat was the first Dr. Seuss book. And there, there's something about books that, for the majority of the human race, really grabs our interest transports us to other places. What have you seen over the last almost four decades in publishing and, and, and books in general that has changed? Oh, books, books, books have changed. Uh, you know, the people that, are, people that are publishing the books change. The, um, the books that are selling changes. There's, there's lots, of, lots of changes in, in this business. But, but print books... Um, the numbers are are up for print books. Everybody thought that when ebooks came along, that was going to take over take over all the print books. But print books uh, still very much uh, continue here, and uh, yeah, it just keeps um, 
it keeps changing. Books books to me are always always important because I know books from my experience changed lives and that's one of the one of the great reasons that I'm that I'm in publishing and I I know that personally because many years ago uh, a book changed my own life. Uh, when I was uh when I was a sophomore in college, I, I read a book called Jesus the Revolutionary, and I wondered how in the world could Jesus be a revolutionary? And um, I'd bought that book uh, at a time in my life when I really had no no faith uh, re- kind of relationship at all. And I uh, read that book, and it showed me a side of Jesus that I'd never seen before, and basically changed the whole course of uh, what I was going to do with my life. I was going to be a, I thought I was going to be a, uh, you know, newspaper story chasing journalist. Uh, and instead, I went into linguistics for 10 years and uh, came back to that. And I've been in publishing for a long time now. I, I still have never fully understood how you went from journalism to linguistics after reading Jesus is a revolutionary. Well, um, I was um, while I w- while I was in at Indiana University, I had a a, um, a good friend that uh, grew up on the mission field uh, with Wycliffe Bible translators, uh, Ron Snell, and um, he told me a lot about about Wycliffe and the Summer Institute of Linguistics, that's their sister organization, and so I got interested in that, and so instead of Instead of going and joining a newspaper when I got out of college, like most of my journalism colleagues did, I joined Wycliffe Bible Translators, and that's where I spent 17 years, uh, 10, 10 of those years in, in linguistics, uh, working in Guatemala, Central America, among the southwest Cochicale people. And then uh, I sort of returned to my writing, started uh, writing for magazines, and then did a little children's book that came out in 1992. That was my when my first book was published. So you've you've really been in this industry as I've known for a really long time, and I remember the the first time we ever met at Author 101, Rick Frischman's event that he held for many years, and I remember meeting you, and you were like, "I think your book's going to do really well because I think you really get it." I don't know if you remember saying that to me. And, you know, I had just put out the book proposal, which you had seen, and what fascinated me was I couldn't understand how you and several other people were like, the book will be successful because of who you are and that you understand business. And now I totally get it because, what I've learned from you and Michael Ebling and David Hancock and Rick Frischman and so many others is that, including my friend Linda Sterling, is that really just writing the book doesn't make people come. Publishers don't do marketing for you. They may do a little bit, but they really don't. And that authors really need to understand business in order to make their books a success. And that's why you wrote this book, right? Ten Publishing Myths, Insights Every Author Needs to Succeed. Is is that truth as to why yeah. you wrote this book? Yeah, that's that's 
that's the basic reason that I that I wrote the book to help authors have have realistic expectations to understand that um, almost all of us when it, it, I mean I I would say this almost with every single book that I've worked on over the years and I've written over sixty of them at this point is that they um, something goes wrong in the process of of that book coming out um, and. What you have to do as an author is control the things that you can control, and then let the rest go. Because uh, I've had uh, I've had publishers, you know, promise me all kinds of things. My books are going to be at airports. Uh, I'm going to, you know, sell lots of books. Uh, all kinds of things have happened that they promised that haven't been fulfilled, and that's because much of the process is outside of the author's control of what they can really do. So what I'm what I've been trying to do in 10 publishing myths and I I hope I achieve this. I really tried to give authors realistic expectations but also practical things that they can do themselves in order to be able to get out there and sell their book at the end of the day. What do you think is one of the I mean you've listed 10 in here Plus, you have an 11th that people can go on your website and download, an 11th publishing myth. Is there one that really stands out? Because when I was reading through the book, which, by the way, is very dog-geared, even though I've been doing stuff in, in publishing for a while now, I'm like, oh, I didn't know that. Oh, got to do that. <laughs> is there one that, I mean, you put... Myth one, I will make a lot of money writing my book as chapter one, myth one. Is that the biggest one that you want people to get? Well, that's, that, that is a big one because lots of people think um, if they write it, people will come, which isn't necessarily true. <laughs> you, have to, uh, you have to do a lot more than just write the book in order to be able to to sell the book at the end of the day, um, so that's that's part of it. But I think I think one of the big myths out there is that, and and I I felt for this myth for a long time myself. Um, you know, I I'd written 50 books uh, when I went to the first um, the earlier version of Author 101. It was called Mega Book Marketing University that Mark Victor Hansen had out in California, and I sat out there with about 400 people. And I'd been invited as a – I had a little literary agency that I was doing back then, and I was a literary agent, so I took pitches from people. But I sat through every one of those meetings, and I listened to people, and I thought, you know, I have been really deluded here over these years because I've I've been writing books. I'd, I'd written about 50 books at that point. Uh, a couple of times I'd gotten six-figure advances from publishers. They produced these great books got them out in the bookstore, all that kind of thing. And I thought that they were actually selling my book, too. But I was doing very little as an author to actually promote and talk about my book out there in the marketplace. Uh, this was in the before days of social media, but I had no social, no presence out there online, or I wasn't working the radio. I wasn't doing a lot of the things that authors need to do in order to be successful. So I sort of woke up, you know, at that particular event, uh, at Mark Victor Hansen's event, and realized that I really needed to be doing something as an author 
to be promoting myself and, and my book all the time. And so that's part of the focus of this this book too and and the second myth i think I, I think it's the second one in here that my publisher will market and promote my book i just assumed that they were going to take care of all these things but that's that's not really true i mean they sure they have an investment but their investment is diversified i mean they're working on many other books in this process too and so they're where you as an author, your focus is really on your book and your passion for this topic. So you need to tap into that passion and be be out there using it day in and day out to tell people about your book. And, yes, it is myth number two in your book um, that my publisher will sell and promote my book. I get asked that question a lot because people are like, oh, well, you see all these other big books and it seems like it's everywhere, you know, like the Michelle Obamas, the Rachel Hollis, the this, the that, that there's promotion everywhere. Well, if publishers are promoting those books, why aren't they promoting everybody's books? Well, because there's a lot of books coming out. <laughs> I mean, um you know, one of my one of my friends in publishing has told me that there's over 4,500 new books that come out every day, and so you have to sort of sit with that number and realize that that's that's a lot of printed material that's coming out into the marketplace every day, and so you have to do your part as an author to be to be telling people about that, and there's. There's umpteen different ways to to do that, but you have to be proactive and doing something in one of those ways every single day in order to be able to help people. What can an author do? Say they get a book deal. Now we're we're talking about traditional or hybrid publishing versus self-publishing in this particular case. Somebody is negotiating a book deal. Is there anything that they can do, Terry, to get some promotion from their publishers, or is it just not possible unless you are somehow in that inner circle? No, uh, you know, publishers are going to. It, it varies from publisher to publisher as far as what they're what they're actually going to do. Um, they'll be very reluctant. I'll tell you this. To, uh, to put it in your contract, what, what, what they're actually going to do. But, sure, they'll, you know, they'll put some effort into it. Every, every publisher does. Uh, maybe, they'll, um, maybe they'll book you interviews, you know, radio interviews for a few months, or maybe they'll, um, you know, book you a few book signings, or they'll put it in your, their catalog, or maybe they'll print you some bookmarks. I mean, just... You know, you have to ask for for what you what you want in order to be able to to get it. But but in general, they sort of run through their typical promotion system for whatever that is, and that's you know three months, four months, six months, and then you're on the back list, and you can barely get them on the telephone. You know, these guys afterwards. So. Um, you just have to kind of realize that that's realistically what it is out there unless, you know, you're one of these top-tier top, top tier people like, you know, I mean, you mentioned 
Michelle Obama. Well, the, she got she got a six million dollar advance uh, for that book. So obviously they're going to promote the daylights out of it in order to be able to get that money back. And then I thought she did something also really interesting that said to me she understood the business of the book, right? She then came out with her Becoming Journal. Yes. Which then started sales of Becoming All Over Again as well, plus the journal, because they did a bundle. That That was a really smart idea. And they also, when the book first released, they organized these huge meetings all over the country, and people bought tickets to come to these meetings, and those ticket prices included a book in those tickets. And they, you know, they had well-known people that were there at those gatherings besides Michelle Obama. And so people, people buy books at those events. Uh, they go to the bookstore, they buy books. It all drives... It all drives sales, that type of of big visibility out there. Okay, which leads to your myth three, writing a book will make me famous. Do you have to be famous first in order to have your book be a success? Or according to this myth, writing a book will not necessarily make you famous. No, it won't necessarily make you famous, uh, but, but it can make you famous. If, um, I mean, it, there's, it's like the, 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 I tell people all the time, um, we're looking, as an acquisitions editor, we're, I'm looking for the right book at the right time, at the right place, with the right stuff. And there are lots of rights that have to line up, and that's, that's pretty much what has to, has to happen. It's almost like the, the stars have to align in order for you to be become famous with your book, it's not a given. In other words, is what I'm trying to say. You have to you have to do your part as an author to be be out there telling people about it to sort of make that happen. All right. So, what's something that an author, somebody who's written a book? And it's been published, and perhaps it's been months and months or even years since the book has hit the shelves. What can they do, and I know you talk about this in several of the chapters of the book, to begin making a difference to find to get that book seen? Well, there's all kinds of things, but one of the the best things that an, every author can control is their own email list. And so if they don't have an email list, they should start one. They should start a, a tribe. People talk about this uh, in terms of a tribe or a group of people, uh, fans, people that care about you. They're on your list. They're on your email list. How do you get those people on your list? Every list starts small. So but you have to start with something. So give away something that of value. Maybe it's a, a study guide related to your book, or maybe it's, a. in my case, for 10 Publishing Myths, what I'm doing is giving away the 11th myth, the extra chapter that's not in the book but looks exactly like the book. It's designed, designed like the book. And so, because uh, Alice Kreider, when, when I was, 
putting together the endorsements for this book, she's a acquisitions editor, David C. Cook, told me that I was missing the 11th myth. And I'm like, okay, Alice, what's the 11th myth? She says, Terry, the 11th myth should be if I send my book to Oprah, she'll book me on her show. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that's a great myth, Alice. I think I'm going to write that chapter <laughs> because that's that's something that people should put, should know about. So that, that's what I'm giving away, uh, the 11th myth. Uh, so if uh, if if people go to the the website for the book, which is the number ten ten one zero publishing myths dot com, they can um, they can get the eleventh myth from me, and that's a that's a tool that that I'm using. But other you can see see what I'm doing, and you could say, hey, I could do that too. I could do that with my book. I could write an extra chapter, or I could write a study guide that I give away to people if they sign up on my email list. That email list is golden because that's something that you control, that you can send out when you want to send it out. And those are people that have really said they want to they want to get information from you on a regular basis. You know, it's funny that that's the 11th myth because I actually had somebody who hand-delivered a copy of my book to Oprah. Wow. And it never went anywhere. Well, one of my friends has told me that that's in publicity that there's a there's a large warehouse in Chicago. What I wrote about in this chapter, the eleventh myth chapter, is there's a large warehouse in in Chicago that apparently collects all the stuff that's given to Oprah every year, and they categorize it and you know all that kind of thing, and then they then they give it away you know, once a year to, to, to charities. So that's, that's probably where your book goes if you send it to Oprah Magazine or something like that, O Magazine or something like that. Um, people just don't have, don't have very realistic expectations as far as what's, what's actually going to happen to them. As, as an acquisitions editor for Morgan James and as an agent and in the past and an editor and things, on average, how many query letters, how many manuscripts do you get a month and a year? Well, at Morgan James, we get over 5,000 a year. Um, so there's there's a lot of material. I always tell people being an acquisitions editor is like trying to drink water out of a fire hose. You know, I mean, there's a lot of uh, material coming in my direction, but... But, you know, because I've been in publishing for a long time, I read, I care about books, I care about authors, I can process it fairly quickly to see uh, if, it's, if it's good, if it's worth, worth reading. And then, you know, we put it, put it through the paces and see if, see if it's a book we're going to publish. Right. And out of that 5,000, I think Morgan Jane publishes, what, 150 to 160 of those books a year? Yeah, that's about right. So that's one of the myths is just because my book is good doesn't mean that it's going to get accepted for publishing. No. It's not one no, of the ones you picked, but it's in like three of them. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's really, um, it's, it's hard to, uh, and it's, it's who you know in this business as much as what you've, what you've written. So it's, it's a combination of both. So those relationships that you have over the years, um, are golden. They're 
there's something to preserve and value and cherish and keep up and all those kinds of things. All right. And with that, Terry, we're going to go into the national news break. I'm here, everyone, with Terry Wellen, the author of 10 Publishing Myths, Insights Every Author Needs to Succeed. And we've been talking over just a few so far myths that Terry has shared with us in some ways that you can bust that myth and, and hopefully get your book out there and seen. When we come back, we're going to talk more with Terry about self-publishing versus traditional publishing and the myths of all those and the myth of a New York Times bestseller. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. If you missed the first half of the show, you missed a lot. So hopefully you are subscribed on your favorite podcast platform and you are subscribed to It's All About the Questions. And hopefully, I really, really, really hope you you do this for me and for other people to help them find it. You subscribe, rate, and review the show. I would love to know what you think. Um, Terry, we've been chatting about your newest book, 10 Publishing Myths, Insights Every Author Needs to Succeed. And during the break, we were talking about several horror stories we both have, have heard um, around your myth in Chapter 8, Myth 8, self-publishing is the best way to get my books out into the market. And I regularly hear this from listeners, from clients, from potential clients that come up to me and said, you know, I spent $30,000 self-publishing or I spent $10,000. My book went nowhere. It looks like crap. I've got a basement full of books and I, I don't know what to do. So talk to me about that myth because I know it is on top of mind for so many people. They think self-publishing is the way to go. Well, yeah, they they think it's the easiest course. Uh, they don't have to um, find an agent. They don't have to find a publisher. Um they don't have to work with anybody. They can just work with a few people. They're in total control of their book, and they put it out there. Well, there were 1.6 million self-published books last year. And so, um, and the on average, those books sell somewhere between 100 and 200 copies in the lifetime of the book, which isn't good. <laughs> and so, um, if that's the course you want to be on, then more power to you. But, um, you know, it's it's just a shame what's happening out there. There are these companies that will, you're right, they'll they'll take your money and they'll, they'll produce the book. Uh, what they won't tell you is that, uh, you know, they're really talking to you from the Philippines, even though they act like they're, you know, they're in Bloomington, Indiana or someplace like that. So, so you really have to, as an author, you have to do your own homework and investigation to be able to do this. Uh, one of my author friends, I sent a uh, ten publishing myths to, and she told her she told me that the first chapter changed her life because one of the hints I give in this first chapter is that no matter who you publish with, you should put the publisher name plus complaint into Google and see what comes up. And she did that, and she was planning on publishing with a self-publishing company and learned that there were thousands of pages of complaints, and this company wasn't paying, hadn't been paying their royalties since last year. And now every publisher has people that complain about them. So, you know, you should be aware that 
no publisher is perfect out there. But, uh, you know, you want to steer away from those kinds of places that are going to just just take your money and and produce something that's really not not a quality book at the end of the day. Now, I know Balboa Press used to be part of Penguin uh, Random House at one point, and Hay House had their own sort of, quote-unquote, it really was a self-published arm, but it really, they didn't proclaim it as that. And these some of these companies seem like they have big names behind them, but yet there's just massive amounts of complaints. So are you saying if you just... Google the publisher name plus complaints that will be enough. But what are what if that would be thinking? that would be that would be a starting place. But but you're right. Uh, you know Balboa Press is the self-publishing arm of Hay or I don't know if it still is, but it used to be of Hay House anyway. And it's um, it's really Balboa Press is really not you're really not getting to Hay House. You're basically giving Hay House some some money because they've they've taken the lead and given that to Balboa Press. So it's so behind the scenes, what's really happening is Author Solutions, the parent company, is really the publisher of that book, uh, and the the bulk of Author Solution employees are in the Philippines. That's really who you're talking to, and that's who's making these books. That would be the same with uh, Westbow, which is associated with Thomas Nelson. People think that, you know, they're getting published by Thomas Nelson if they get published by Westbow, which isn't true. You're basically giving some money to Thomas Nelson when you publish with Westbow, but basically your books are being done. They're all online, and they don't look good. Uh, I've seen a number of those books, and the printing isn't good, and the layout and the cover design, all that kind of thing. But yet you're stuck with these books that you've got to try to sell. It's um, it's just not a good not a good good way to go from from my my experience. Is it ever okay to self-publish for somebody? Oh yeah, I think there are some. There are some places and some ways to uh, to self-publish. There's some times to do that kind of thing. You can do it as an as an experiment if you want to. You can, uh, you know, you can do it for your, for a family family book that's not going to go anywhere. Uh, you know, that's just just like for your family stories. Um, I think there are there are some there are some times to to self-publish, but for the bulk of us. It's not not really the the way to go because the the best publishing, from my experience, is really more of a cooperative kind of experience of working with other people to get the best cover, to get your book in the best possible shape inside with an editor, um, to get your book out there into the bookstores. That's really the better the better route to go, as far as I'm concerned. And if they somebody does decide to self-publish, they still need to understand it's a business and they follow some, a lot of the things that you talk about in this book where you're busting the myth. I love, by the way, I love that. At the end of each chapter, you have your myth buster. 
myth, I can't even talk. <laughs> you have your myth buster section, which is an MBA, myth buster action. And I love just looking at one of them at the end of chapter four, which is myth four, which is um, beginning writers have no chance to get published. And you write myth buster action, create a book proposal and use my book proposal checklist to guide you at terrylinks.com slash bookcheck. If you make the effort to create an excellent book proposal, then you're ready to pitch your book at any time and any place. Also, I have a free list of over 400 literary agents with their contact information at terrylinks.com slash agents. I mean, not only is that MBA Mythbuster action giving you some specific things that you can do to help sell your book, you also list all these places on your some of your websites where you can get resources to help you even further bust that myth and, and be a success. It's, it's total brilliance. <laughs> well, thank you, Laura. I'm just trying to help people really get plugged into the to the publishing community and be able to get get the help that they need because so many people seem like they're floundering around out there, they're lost, they don't know how to how to really produce something that's going to make it out there in the marketplace. Uh, and the one of the myths that you talk about where you talk about beginning writers have no chance to get published and everything and you talk about writing for magazines and you give so many great ideas and I think that's also in myth five um, if I'm remembering correctly so dog-eared my copy of the book I can't call myself a writer unless I publish a book I've been writing for magazines ever since you first told me that years ago, and now I'm the category director for a new magazine coming out in January, podcast magazine, and I'm writing articles every month for this magazine where it brands out my name and has links and gets me found on the website. And by the way, everybody, you can get a free copy, get registered for a free digital copy of podcast magazine at podcastmagazine.com. So let's talk about that one um, myth, Terry, about writing for magazines and calling yourself a writer. Yeah, well, magazines, you'll reach many more people with your magazine writing than you probably ever will with your book, unless you're a, a mega best-selling author, which most most of us aren't. I mean, if your book sells... 5,000, 10,000 copies during the lifetime of the book, the publisher will consider that a great success. That's that's the benchmark that they're using. So if you're published in a magazine, it's very easy to get a, get a published in a magazine that goes to 100, 200, 300,000 readers. So that's much broader to get, be in there than to get a book done. Now, to write a book, I mean, a nonfiction book maybe is 50,000 words, that's 200 pages. A fiction book is 100,000 words or less. You know, it's a lot of work <laughs> to write 50 to 100,000 words where it's easier, simpler, shorter time frame, all that, to write a 1,000, 1,500-word magazine article, get that out to a magazine and that's exposure for yourself and your name and your book in that process. 
And some magazines only want five to six hundred words. Oh, there are different. Uh, you have to see, read the guidelines. That's that's a big key. The editors told you who their target audience is and what kind of things they want and what what they're looking for in those guidelines. So you know, use your Google again and put the name of the magazine plus the word guidelines. And most publications have put out what they want. And so pretty simple you just basically give the editor what he want what they want and then you your material will be much more likely to be be published at the end of the day i mean one of the things i realized a few a few years ago laura people wonder how in that world i've published more than 60 bucks with tradi- traditional publishers and one of the things i realized is that I'm I'm not the best writer in the room. I am one of the more persistent people that you'll meet, though. And so I go to these conferences and I pitch my stuff to editors, just like just like they do. And the editor listens to me and they say, "You yeah, know, that's really a good idea, Terry. Write that up and send that to me." And so I go home, I make a little note, and I write it up and I send it to them. Now that doesn't mean that I get published by doing that, but I at least give myself a chance to be published by actually carrying through with what the editor asked me to do and send it to them. Because now as an as an acquisitions editor, I go to conferences and I listen to writers pitching to me and I say, that's a great idea, write that up and send that to me. And what I've found from going to these conferences that probably only 10% maybe of all the people that I'll meet will actually give it to me. At the end of the day, they'll actually send it to me. The other people won't. Now, what happened to them? I don't. I don't know. You know what? Why they didn't? Why they were afraid, or why they got published somewhere else, or why they just stuck in their drawer and forgot it, or what? But I've given myself over and over the just the the opportunity to be published by sending it. That's a huge myth that you didn't. Well, you kind of you did kind of talk about it in the book. The idea that just because they say no doesn't mean what you're trying to pitch isn't worthwhile. Maybe it's the wrong timing. Maybe it's the wrong person. Maybe you didn't read what the magazine or uh, Michael Ebling talked about this all the time. He would get pitches for books while he's a literary agent, and it wasn't even a genre that he focuses on. Yeah, that's why you read the guidelines and do what the guidelines says. The, the editor is telling you what they want. They know their target market. They know who they're trying to reach, and they know what they're looking for, and they tell you what they're looking for. You just have to follow their guidance and send them what they're looking for. It's, it's pretty much that simple. What are some resources, I know you have tons on your website, um, that people can specifically go to if they're looking to find some guidelines from different publishers, different agents, different magazines? Well, the, the, like the best way to, to find the writer's guidelines for, for a particular publication would be to, to write the name of the magazine plus the word guidelines and put it into Google and see what you get. And I'm sure you'll find 
you'll find those those types of guidelines, and you'll find the names of the editors, and you know that's it's all a part of running the business, like we were talking about before. You have to make sure that you're sending it to the right the right editor who is actually still there at the magazine. So you have to look online to see if that editor has moved somewhere else or what what's happening. And then then you follow up if if you don't hear anything from them in you know a time or uh, a month goes by and you don't hear anything, you send them a little email and say, "Hey, did you really get this?" and uh, do I need to send it again? You know, I mean, you you have to be a little proactive as an author. Not annoying proactive, but professional proactive in order to be able to to really get your stuff out there. One of my pet peeves is people assume that just because they sent an email, it was actually received. Oh, you yeah, know, you really can't can't count on that. You have to follow up that's part of part of being a professional yeah i run a lot of webinars for my friend's company sazamax and we do a lot of business focused webinars and i have to coordinate with the people that we're interviewing or are presenting on the webinars and the webinar system sends out reminder emails when you set up the, the webinar and everything, and I'll get these emails from the speakers, presenters, whatever, and they're like, we haven't gotten the links. And I'm like, okay, it got sent out three times. Did you check your spam? And some of them are like, oh, yep, there it is in my spam. And other ones are like, are you sure you're using the right email? And I'm like, yes, I know I'm using the right email because you're getting this email. Sometimes emails go out into the ether. <laughs> they do. They do. You can't really depend on email. Absolutely. Yeah. So if if you know you're sending something, verify, double check. But like you said, don't be a pest. So what's the fine line for you of pest versus no pest? Uh, you know, it's um, it's somewhat the attitude that people do it in, but it's also, um, you know, I, I guess I would I would say you know brief. A brief note is is okay to to an editor about that. Um, phone call is usually not encouraged, uh, but um, you know if it's if if you have some relationship, then you can call. I guess is what I'd say. But um, just just be. You know, be be professional and upfront and straightforward about it, rather than uh, annoyed. I guess because that annoyance will will show through. Okay, and also follow the protocols for what somebody's looking for. Don't expect to get a response if you're not providing something in the way they they need it. I mean, you tell one story and one of the myths in the book about somebody who was literally texting you a photo of each page because her, it turned out her computer had crashed and all she had was hard copy, but she didn't think to have somebody retype the book or have it scanned in and converted into a file or something like that. Yeah, I got tons of texts from that particular author, so that, that was annoying, definitely. All right. So what's a, 
How do people get in touch with you, Terry? How do they get a copy of your book, which I think every author, wannabe author should have, 10 Publishing Myths, Insights Every Author Needs to Succeed? And there's so many links in this book for to great content. <laughs> it's worth the price of it just to have access to all of that. Plus, you get the amazing book as it, as it is. So how do people get it, Terry, and where do they get the extra resources? Probably, probably the best place. It's available in bookstores all over the country, but uh, the best place would probably be to go to my my website, ten publishing myths, one zero publishing dot com, and on my website I have, you know, about four different ways that people can people can get the book. Uh, they can get it directly from me. They can get it from their favorite independent bookstore. They can get it from BarnesandNobles.com, dot com. They can get it from Amazon. Um, a lot of different ways people can people can buy the book, but it's it's available out there nationwide at, at your at your favorite favorite bookstore. Walk in there and order the book if you want to. A lot a lot of different ways to get it. And everybody who's listening who is an author or wants to be an author, I highly recommend that you subscribe at any one of Terry's sites: tenpublishingmyths.com, terrywellen.com. Because the emails that he sends out with the insights he sends out are your master's degree just by reading all of that. And we'll save you so much pain and agony, I promise you. <laughs> Thank you, Laura. <laughs> last, last, last thought you want to share with my listeners, Sherry? You know, I guess, I guess what I would share with them is that I've been in some of the top letter agencies and publishers in this country and the the thing that I go back to is every time when I go meet with these people, they ask me, uh, "Where's where's the next bestseller?" So you should should know that even though they may have a, a a sign on their website that says they're not taking clients right now and they're not taking submissions right now, that they are actively looking every single day for the the right stuff for them. And so people are looking, so don't get discouraged. Just keep at it at the end of the day. And create a quality product, right? Whatever you're sending over, make sure it doesn't have spelling errors and typos up the wazoo and looks good. That's right. That's right. It has to be a has to be a professional product, but every every one of these people is looking for the next best selling book. The next Harry Potter, yeah. the next Martian, the next Becoming, or Rachel Hollis's book, um, which I have not read yet, but it seems like you can't figure out why something takes off. And it's such a nebulous thing, Terry. I mean, what do you say to somebody? They're like, well, what? how do you know if your book's going to take off? Do you know? No, you don't really know. Uh, it's not. It's not magic. There's not a. There's not a formula. We all have to sort of find our own path. So, as an author, what you have to do is try a lot of different things and see which thing is really going to be your thing in order to be able to to really make it make it take off. I'll never forget. And one of your thing, one of your myths is about my book will be a New York Times bestseller. Um, the book, The Alchemist, 
and I'm totally blanking on the author's name, and I, I love him. I think he's amazing, everything he's... Paul, Paul um, he's Brazilian, I, I, I don't know how you say his last name, but... Yeah, we're both um, not, not saying it, but he, his books never hit the New York Times bestseller list until the last few years. And, and this man sold millions and millions of copies of his books, but it never hit the New York Times list. So even some of the best books in the world were never New York Times bestsellers, and some books that never should have been New York Times bestsellers hit those lists at the same time. But I think if people read your book, Ten Publishing Myths, they'll get a better idea on how to make their book sell so that their message can get into the hands. I mean, I know this is more for nonfiction books, but for somebody who's writing fiction, you know, these are all really good things to read as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. The fiction people need, need this as well. So, Terry, thanks so much for being on the show again. Always grateful. Thank you, Laura. Appreciate all it right, very much. Everybody, remember to grab a copy of Terry's book, and Publishing Myths, go to his website. And most of all, ask. Put it out there. If, if you have a book that's in you, but you never submit it to somebody, it's never going to get published. Remember, the right questions can change your life. Have a great day, everyone. You've been listening to It's All About the Questions, starring Laura Stewart. Connect with Laura at itsallaboutthequestions.com and download a free workbook that will help you ask better questions starting today.